guys, welcome to the Seven Figure Box Show. This is Andrew Frezza, and in today's episode, I'm gonna be talking about how to apply first principles thinking to your gym. So I first wanna give you guys an overview of what first principles thinking is, how that's different from reasoning by analogy, which is what a lot of people do. And I wanna talk about how this applies to kind of our everyday lives and then how to apply that to your gym. So where this idea of first principles is coming up for me is that I've been recently studying a lot of what Elon Musk and Tesla are doing and just kind of mildly obsessed with Elon Musk as an entrepreneur, as a just a very different type of thinker, a very critical thinker, and someone that just thinks a lot bigger than most of us do. And Elon's sort of this, this prototypical person, prototypical example, of someone who at most of the time will think in terms of first principles as opposed to reasoning by analogy. And what I've heard Elon talk about is like SpaceX as an example, that's the company that Elon started that sends rockets up to space, is for a long time, a lot of people were not really doing much as it related to space. You know, since the 60s when we landed on the moon, the space industry's really been pretty dead for the most part. And it's be, most of it is because it's been so expensive. So what Elon did, in addition to studying how to build rockets and basically becoming like a self-made rocket scientist, is he said, well, why is, why is sending rockets to space so expensive? And he said, well, how much does the materials that go into a rocket, you know, the metals and the iron and lithium and all these different pieces of material, how much do those components cost? So if you were to buy the exact cost uh, the exact weight ratios of what a rocket would need, how much would those components cost? And what he found is that it wasn't very much at all. It was actually pretty small compared to the end cost of what a rocket costs. The other thing that he realized is that the reason rockets are so expensive is that most of the time when they get shot off, they are blown up afterwards. Very, very rarely or almost never where those rockets or those parts being reused in the next rocket. So when you think about like the planes that we use and fly on, you know, that fly out every single day, it's not that a plane is so cheap to make, it's that a plane can land, gas up, get a little bit of maintenance and then go right into the next flight. So what makes planes so much more inexpensive is the fact that planes are reusable and they're reusable quickly. And in the t in terms of rockets, he realized that okay, it's the component parts are cheap. And if we can solve this sort of reusability side and the manufacturing side, then you know what, we can do this a lot more inexpensively than it's being done right now. So this was an, this was an example of Elon kind of taking this first principles, principles approach, instead of just taking the industry's word for it of this is too expensive or taking the industry standard of rockets are not reusable, he said, how can we make these things reusable? And if you look at some of his other companies like, like Tesla, and you see what they're doing with full self-driving, um, Elon very simply looked at like what human drivers are capable of. Human drivers just basically use an optical lens, which is our eyeballs, to look out and we label objects and make decisions based on that. So Elon said, okay, why can't a car have multiple optical lenses? Why can't a car have six, seven, eight cameras and have the same decision-making technology that a human has even better with multiple viewpoints. So, you know, they're well on their way to solving full self-driving. Um, and then one more example, since I'm, like I said, mildly obsessed with what Elon is doing is his boring company, if you guys have seen, he's creating tunnels that go underground um, to be able to drive basically to solve the, the, 
the global problem of traffic and Elon just looked at, hey, our cities are in 3D. You have these massive buildings like the Empire State Building in New York City where people are going to pack into this building on a 3D level. They're gonna go multiple floors and you could have thousands of people in a single building. And then when it comes time for these people to leave that building, they essentially leave in 2D, right? They all leave at the same level, which is kind of this ground level via cars and trains and walking. And that's where all this traffic comes from. So we thought about, well, how come, how come we couldn't have a transportation system that works in 3D, just like our cities work in 3D? And he opted for going underground as opposed to going with flying cars or elevated trains or stuff like that. So these are all the different ways that someone like Elon Musk is taking this first principles thinking and applying it to his different companies. And I just find it so fascinating. I think it's a good sort of thought exercise to think about, okay, well, if I was going to build my gym up from scratch, what are all the assumptions that are being made in our industry about micro gyms and personal training and nutrition coaching and retail? What are all the assumptions that are being made and how could we attack this from a first principles thinking? How can we go back to the foundation and think about if we had the chance to build this model from scratch, if we had the chance to start our gym again from scratch, what would we do differently? And that's really the, the difference between attacking things from first principles and just reasoning by analogy. So I wanna break this down via some different categories of our businesses and talk about how we often have reason by analogy in the past and what might be some better questions to ask to think from more of a first principle standpoint. And I think pricing is probably the biggest one. Um, we're in the midst of changing some pricing at our gym. We had to do a price raise at our gym because of, of COVID and having smaller classes and wanting to continue to have smaller classes moving forward. And I think about the way we originally priced our gym, the way most people price their gym, they're asking themselves questions like, well, what does the market allow for this type of service? What does the gym down the street charge? What do I think that I would pay for this type of service? What, am, what are my friends or family willing to pay for this type of service? And often we're setting our prices based on just analogy comparison to something that's already out there instead of asking, well, if I'm gonna start this business or if I'm gonna to continue to run this business for the next 10, 20, 30 years, what do I need to make from this business in order to live the type of life that I want to live? What do I have to be able to pay staff in order for them to be able to live the lives that they wanna be able to live and for them to be able to make a career out of doing this? What would my perfect day look like, right? What would I have to charge in order to be able to help create that day, to have the supporting cast, the supporting team, to help me uh, make that day happen? And also, what would I have to be able to charge to have the supporting cast to develop the, to deliver the experience that I want to deliver to the customer, right? What, what would that ideal experience look like? And what would I have to charge in order to make sure that we can pull off that experience? And obviously we do have to weigh some version of looking at what a market can afford to pay. But most of the time, if we attack it from more of this first principle side when it comes to pricing, then we're thinking more about value. And that value is gonna be shown in what we do as opposed to the customer then being focused on price. And we never wanna get into a position where uh, it's all about price because that, that's not a spot that we wanna be in 
as a business owner. Another big category where we've been guilty of reasoning by analogy, and I see a lot of gyms out there reasoning by analogy, is when it comes to programming. And we often have learned our programming from things we've been exposed to. Maybe it's a workout that we've liked, maybe it's a gym that we started at and you know we like certain things about their programming, we didn't like certain things about the programming, we go to a level one or a level two and we take some of the things that they mention about the programming and we start to incorporate that into ours. We look at people like Ben Bergeron or, or uh, CJ Martin at Invictus or Jason Kalipa and we, we start to shape our programming mindset based on the things we see out there. And a lot of times when we see more of stuff, it sort of makes that thing uh, more accepted in, into our programming. You know, we might look at the CrossFit Open or the CrossFit Games and use that to help dictate our programming. Or we might take feedback from a few loud members at the gym about what to incorporate into our programming. And then the programming becomes sort of this, this mishmash of different things that have often been sort of reasoned by analogy to make their way into our program. And sometimes that comes up with a pretty good program, but how often have we ever stepped back and said, well, why is this person coming to us? Um, if we were able to design our program from scratch today, what would that look like, right? I hear Stu from WTF Gym Talk talk about the different movements they've removed from their programs, like the snatch and the overhead squat and handstand push-ups and why he doesn't do those things. And while I don't agree with every movement that Stu's eliminated from his programs, there's things that he talks about that we still do. I can appreciate Stu's ability to put every movement on the chopping block and say, from a first principle standpoint, is this movement necessary for general well-rounded fitness? And I think that it's really important for us to be able to do that because if, you, if you're able to put something on a chopping block and, and attack it from first principles of, does this movement really support the why behind what my members are here for? Um, is it something that my coaches really can stand fully behind 100%? If, you if you're able to decide, yes, it is one of those things, then you're gonna be that much more um, supportive and excited to have that movement, that type of workout in your program. Whereas if everything's just kind of in there by analogy and you do things that you aren't fully supportive of, then that's gonna show. And it's gonna show in terms of your level of confidence, your ability to deliver that class at a really expert level. And then the third and final example is around team building. And I think that there's a lot of gyms out there that are deciding whether or not they wanna have part-time versus full-time coaches. They're trying to figure out how to develop their coaching staff. And they're looking out there to what a lot of other people are doing. And I'm a big fan of learning from other people that are successful. So I do think there's a balance here of you don't have to completely figure this stuff out on your own. It's okay to look out to what other people are doing. You know, I listen to podcasts. You guys are obviously listening to this podcast. I don't want you to stop doing those things, but I think it's important to have these questions that always bring it back to first principles instead of just doing something because I do it or because someone else does it that's that you're listening to. So when it comes to like part-time versus full-time coaches, I just have a very strong belief that, that coaches are one of the most valuable uh, professions out there. And I want to be part of this mission that supports coaches being a real career and a real profession. So for me, when I attack it from that real basic principle, then I have to look at everything that we do from our pricing to how we pay our coaches for classes, 
to how we onboard and hire coaches, to how we develop coaches on a weekly basis in our meetings, how we talk about improving our class experience and how we talk about interacting with the members. All these things are gonna be different when we attack it from more of a first principles perspective. And I know when we started to build out our coaching roles, I was really inspired and influenced by um, this idea of like, where does um, happiness and fulfillment peak as it relates to how much you make in your career? And there's, you know, articles and studies out there that talk about this idea that like when you make $75,000 a year in, in most areas uh, in today's uh, sort of uh, current value of a dollar, that that's kind of where happiness hits its peak for the amount of money that you make. And yes, there's certainly uh, people that are happier when they make more money over 75K, but as a general rule of thumb, most people are gonna be as happy and fulfilled as they want to be making $75,000 a year, and they don't have to make more than that in order to be happier, right? And that's not, again, that's not true across the board. Certainly there's people out there that can aspire to make more and will be happier if they make more. But from our standpoint, we really like this number as like, okay, this seems like a really great uh, goal for us to get our coaches to because we want them to not only be able to survive financially, but be able to thrive in a way where they can do this happily for decades and be able to eventually support a family, buy a house, and hopefully have the ability to retire from this career. And I know Sean Pastuch from Active Life has built out this model where he talks about, you know, a coach should be able to make at least $60,000 a year working only 25 hours, four hours a week of coaching. That doesn't mean they're only working 25 hours. It just means if they're doing 15 group class hours and 10 personal training hours, that should be enough to support them and allow them to make $60,000 a year. I think I have those numbers right. Um, those are the numbers that I had on the top of my head. But I think that's great because, yeah, there's going to be work outside that. You're going to have preparation for PT sessions, preparation for group classes. You're going to have meetings. You're going to have time for continuing education. You're going to fill closer to 40 hours with that type of schedule. But I just think it's a great framework. And that's something that I imagine Sean attacked from this first principles of thinking of like, okay, well, what if we could just think about what a coach should make for the time they put in and what's possible then that seems very doable and that's something that is worth working toward. And what you find is that when you think about stuff that way, it allows you to create much more progress than if you just go back to this reasoning by analogy. And that's really the biggest difference is that when you reason by analogy, at best you get very incremental progress. When you attack things from first principles, you can really see exponential progress because it's forcing you to completely change your mindset and stuff. There's often a lot more risk involved with this first principles thinking, not all the time. And you can mitigate that risk by kind of incrementally working your way to this new goal. So an example for us is like, we decided years ago that we wanted to move to all full-time coaches eventually in our business. We didn't fire all our part-time coaches upon making that decision. That wasn't an immediate, immediate reaction to this decision to have all full-time coaches. But over time, we evolved our business to be able to have all full-time coaches. So again, you could have staff currently that are part-time that are making $10,000 a year, 
And you might say, okay, well, my goal is to get all full-time staff making at least 60 grand a year, working only 25 hours of floor coaching a week. And you can start to work towards that goal without having to burn bridges and, and burn the whole thing down along the way. Um, but I think now is a perfect time. A lot of, I, I do believe that a lot of the restrictions with COVID are coming to an end. I think as a, a culture and a country, we are hopefully coming out of it. Um, I do believe that that cases and vaccines can only stay so high for so long to eventually we'll, we'll be past this thing. And as we come out of this, I think there's no better time than now to spend that time and say, from a first principle standpoint, if we could start the gym from scratch today, what would we want this thing to look like? Like, what impact do we want to have on our members? Why do we even exist in the first place? What outcomes do we really want to create in people's lives? And what would we, what would this thing need to look like? What would we need to charge? What would our team need to look like? What would my days need to look like? What would I need to spend my time on? What would our roles and responsibilities need to be to be able to create this thing from scratch? And once you have that map, you can start working towards that daily. Again, you don't have to burn the house down on your way to that, but some, some things are going to have to burn down. Some things are going to have to get completely removed from your business. Um, you'll probably lose some members. You might lose some coaches along the way. And it, that doesn't have to necessarily be uh, purposeful in the sense that you're, you're, you're kicking people out of your business, but it's going to come with the growth and the new direction. Okay. So I hope, hope you guys found this helpful. Uh, if you have any questions, as always, reach out Andrew at fittown.com and I'll see you on the next one. Oh, 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 oh